I am Eric Owens. <laughs> Just kidding. Eric is gone in a gospel meeting. Him and Vanessa, we need to be remembering them. And, uh, you know, he hasn't been here long, but it's been such a blessing to have Eric and Vanessa and their family here. What a good preacher he is. And if you haven't told him or hugged his neck, he and Vanessa, they are such a blessing uh, to us here at Westside to help us grow and to seek and to save the lost. And I uh, look forward to, to seeing them back. If you are visiting with us today, uh, we are thankful that you are here. Maybe you're looking for a church home. I can assure you every time that you're here, this is the book that we follow. We don't have any other creed, any other doctrine, but this book right here. This is God's Word. We want to look like the Lord's church that we read about in the Bible for how they became Christians, that every believer repented of their sins and confessed and were baptized, buried in water for the forgiveness of their sins. How the church worshiped, how every first day of the week they partook of the Lord's Supper, Acts 7 and verse 20. How every first day of the week they remembered the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. How they sang, and they sang without instruments, Ephesians 5, 19 and Colossians 3, 16. How that when they prayed to God, they prayed to God through Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So if you're visiting with us this morning, and maybe you're looking for a church home, maybe you just have questions and you would like a Bible study, we'd be glad to, uh, to visit with you. But thank you so much for, for being with us. I would invite you this morning, if you have your Old Testaments, to please be finding 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5, and you will be thankful to know we're just going to be in 2 Kings chapter 5 the whole time. You don't have to do a lot of turning this morning. We're going to be looking at, at this wonderful book. When you first open it up in the first chapter, uh, first verse of 2 Kings chapter 5, you read of a man by the name of Naaman. We realize that, that Naaman was an officer in the army in, in Syria. He was a man that, that had leprosy. And in a, a stage of events, he was able to meet a, a prophet by the name of Elisha who told him what to do, and he was cleansed. Now, most preachers that I know, I'm sure uh, our preachers here know, have this Naaman sermon in their baptizing sermon. It's where we know that water flows all the way through the Scripture as, as we read the connection that God makes between water and to have a spiritual cleansing. We read about it in, in Noah in, in Genesis chapter 6, uh, where they had a, a, a world cleansing, a global cleansing. We read about it in uh, Exodus chapter 14 to where Israel crossed the Red Sea to where we had a national cleansing. And so we have here in 2 Kings chapter 5 an individual cleansing. And it makes it so easy as you go on through the Bible when we were in the New Testament before Jesus ascended back into heaven in Matthew 28. He said, all authority has been given unto me. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So in that very next recorded sermon after Christ ascended back in heaven, when people asked what to do to be saved, they were told to repent and to be baptized. And they did. Thousands did. Millions did for the next few hundred years. Millions and millions did because that's exactly the command they had. And we see that flowing throughout the Scriptures and as we enter into the New Testament and what one needs to do to be saved. But this is not going to be a baptized lesson, okay? 
this may be the first lesson you ever heard on Naaman that is not necessarily a baptized lesson. There are at least two other lessons we have in uh, this Second Kings chapter 5 that are so important and so vital for us as we talk about evangelism, as we talk about those who need to be saved. There's first, we have the, the lesson of the dead becoming alive, from going to dead to living. So let's look at verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 5. It says, Now Naaman, commander of the army of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given him victory to Syria, and he was also a mighty man of valor. Last three words but a leper. He was a leper. Leprosy is a skin condition. It's a condition that is contagious, and especially during that time, it was a condition that, was, uh, that, you could, that could take your life. At that time, it was a, you were a social outcast if you had leprosy. Naaman came from a country that believes in multiple gods. Naaman never knew the almighty, almighty God. So in this story, he went from being lost to being a dying man to a living man, a saved man and a, li a living man. So here's the question, how did he get there? How did he get there from being dying to being living. Well, let's see who's involved in this story. This is my favorite part of Naaman's lesson because Naaman, on his own, on his own, would never have gone from lost, from, from lost and dying to saved and living had it not been for people that were around that didn't mind telling him and talking to him about he, what he should do. Look at verses 2 through 4. And the Syrians had gone out on a raid and brought back captive, a young girl from the land of Israel. She wanted, waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his masters, saying, thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. So simple math, simple math. No servant, no cleansing. This is so important. Another character, a couple of characters, and they're kind of sad in, in this story, is there are two big-name guys, the king of Syria and the king of Israel. And these guys were pretty much knuckleheads. They were not helpful at all. They were the ones who were supposed to know everything. They didn't know anything. The king of Syria said, well, if that's what the girl said, you, you go there. The king of Israel said, he, he just got very upset and started tearing his clothes. This little servant girl saved Naaman and saved the, his entire family. We don't even have her name. She's not, he just introduces, this girl introduces hope to this dying family. Who are our servants today? Who are our servants? Who are those who, and this is not an insult, they may not know a lot about the Scriptures. Who are the ones who, who may not know a lot about God's plan on salvation or, or may not know how to sit down and have a Bible study with someone, but they are the ones who have no problem coming in contact with someone and say, come to worship with me. Come to church with me. And what makes this so great is oftentimes they're, they're God's people. They may be young, they may be old, they may be male, they may be female. These are the pure in heart. 
the pure in heart people who just say to those who are struggling, why don't you come and worship with me? I, I can't answer all your problems, but I can introduce you to someone who can. Let me introduce you to one of our elders. They can help, or one of our ministers. And I don't know how to answer all your questions, but I know someone who does. The young servant girl in our text, she was a slave. She was in a very uncomfortable place in her life, not the happiest place in her life. She had been taken from her family, and even in her most uncomfortable situation, she's like, you know, I wish my master knew the one that I, I knew in Israel who could help him. You can't help but love people who even though they may not be in the best part, part in their life right now, financially, physically, medically, but they still want to be a part of a soul-saving people to help encourage people and build them up. Now, in verses 8, 9, and 10, Naaman comes across a man named Elisha who is able to give him the truth, to tell him what he needs to do. Look at verse 8. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please send him to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went, to the, went with his horses and chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Now, this is not super complicated. You don't have to read that over and over again to know what to do. If we are dying, we are candidates to be cleansed. We are candidates for cleansing. So if Naaman wants to be cleansed, and he trusts in Elisha, he must go and he must dip in that dirty river seven times. Like Elijah, Elisha, at some point in evangelism, like Elisha, somebody has to look at someone else and say, this is what you need to do. This is what you, there's, yes, there needs to be room for building relationships. That's important in rapport, developing it over and over again. But if we spend so much time or too much time in building our relationships, we'll have a dead Naaman on our hands. We'll have people who came to, to interested in becoming a Christian, or maybe they've been a Christian, they've fallen away from God, and they're interested and they want to know. And we just never say anything. Elisha did exactly what he needed to do. Here at Westside, we're blessed with a lot of Elishas. We have people, several people, who will, who will offer Bible studies with people. We have our elders who lead the way and who encourage us in seeking and saving the lost. We have outstanding Bible class teachers. And the harvest is plenty because there's lots of dying people. There's lots of people who, who are just lost, who have no clue, and they need something like Naaman. They have no clue on what to do. Naaman was greatly confused. In, the, he, in fact, he even got angry about it. He couldn't stand it. He couldn't stand it when he was asked to do something like going and dipping in the River, Jor River Jordan. I mean, he, he wanted to do something greater than that. We have this happen all, often in, in looking at baptism. We tell people they need to hear. Well, they believe in that. They 
They need to believe, well, yeah, I, I think that's important. Jesus said you need to do that. You need to repent. Well, yeah, you need to do that. You need to confess. Yeah, that's no problem because everybody doesn't. That's what the Bible said. That's what Jesus said. But if we ever think about, Jesus said, be baptized too. Jesus said in Mark 16, 15, and 16, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Jesus said that. In fact, we can't enter to, into Christ unless we are baptized, Galatians 3, 27. We can't have our sins washed away unless we are baptized, Acts 2 and verse 38. We cannot be saved unless we are baptized, 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. And that's why servants are so important, that all of us are important to evangelism. Look at verse 13. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, here these servants are, if, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says you wash and be clean? This is a great thing about servants. I mean, they can make friends with somebody and kind of make things make some sense. Calm down. I mean, isn't this simple? I mean, it's not complicated. I know it's not what you expected, but it's not complicated. Look at verse 14. So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, as one that was clean. We should all be servants. We may not be the first person to come in contact with someone. We may not have set up a Bible study with someone, but we can get to know them. That's important because they're going to have questions. You know, maybe they're out there sitting in a pew and and, and, and the preacher says something that just kind of confuses them because that's not how they were brought up. Before they get out those doors, there is somebody that's grabbing them and saying, hey, why don't you go to lunch with me? Why don't you come over my, come over my, my house? And they say, I know what you're hearing. You know, it's kind of tough. I had the same problem. But isn't it simple? Because it's just what the Bible says. All of this comes together for salvation, because God is using those to share the Word. There's using those to encourage and to preach the Word. Now, there's a little bit more to this part of the story. Ultimately, Naaman had to go back to his home, home that was a godless home that didn't know the Jehovah God. And look at, in verse 17, before he goes home, Naaman goes back to Elisha, and he wants to give him some a great gifts, but Elisha says no, but look at verse 17. So Naaman said, then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, so far your, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offerings or sacrifices to other gods, but to the Lord. Naaman is repenting, I'm going back, but I am not going to serve other gods. I'm only going to serve the Lord God Almighty. Verse 18. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servants, he said, when my master goes into the temple of Ramon to worship there, and he leans on my hand, and I bow down to in the temple of Ramon. When I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may it please, may it please pardon your servant, the king. Nam is scared because he is going back to a godless country who cannot even spell L-O-R-D. It's all in little cases, little cases, God. And he said, I, when I go back, I'm not going to worship any idols ever again. 
They're going to make me go into the temple. They're going to make me bow down there. But I'm going to go in and, what do, and not do what I am told as far as worship. I'm going to worship Jehovah God. Do people, when people become Christians, do people still have questions about Christian living, about what God says? Absolutely. There's questions that a new Christian has as they continue to grow, that talking about the changes in their lives, they're talking about the influence that they should have over their family. And there are changes that take time, that take time. And some of us are still working on those changes. But look at what Elisha said. Three words in verse 19. He says, go in peace. Go in peace. Naaman is a brand new person. When Elisha said, go in peace, did he expect Naaman to grow and to change? Absolutely he did. He gave him grace. He got a long process to figure out what that is going to look like. And as a result, we now have a man who was dead, and now he is alive. This may be the very best story in the Bible on how evangelism works. It takes all of us, all of us, and working together and playing their roles and doing what we know we need to do. Every one of us has something to do in evangelism. Naaman even though he was utterly confused and, and, and godless, he was a good candidate for, for healing. And let me tell you why. Naaman understood, he understood the desperation of the situation. He was willing to do whatever it took. He knew he was dying. He knew he was a social outcast. He was willing to do whatever it took to get him healed. That's so important. When you know somebody that has a terrible disease and, and they're going to die, they're willing to do whatever it takes. There's some of you here today I know that are struggling. You're willing to do whatever it takes to get you healed. It is the same thing in making sure your life is right with God, that you are saved. Ever try to fix somebody who didn't want to be fixed? Maybe they, they are just happy in where they are right now, and they don't want to change. Naaman knows his situation. Naaman is desperate. I am a leper. I am an outcast. And whatever level of leprosy that he had, he is in the worst situation possible for that time. He knows he needs healing. So when he hears the opportunity for healing, he goes back to the king and begs, and then he packs up good and riches and heads that way. And he travels down, and he's, he, he is sent to some home of a little nobody prophet. Naaman is so desperate, he even listens to a little servant girl, and that is being desperate. But that's the first thing that makes Naaman a good candidate, that I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make sure I am right with God. I am dying. I'm not going in the right direction. I'm going to do whatever it takes. In order for, for someone who is not a Christian to find their way home, they must understand how desperate their situation is in being absolutely lost. Look at verse 18. After Naaman was cleansed, verse 15, verse 15, excuse me. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him. And he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. <coughs> now, therefore... Please take a gift from your servant. 
But he said, as the Lord lives before I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. You know, you've, you've, you've moved to great appreciation when you are so thankful. You ever been so thankful for something? I mean, something, you were struggling with something in your life. Maybe it's a sickness, maybe it's finance. And all of a sudden, you were taken care of. You're willing to do whatever it takes. You're willing to help other people and, and encourage. You can't stop being, given, being a giver. People who taught us, people who encouraged us, people who loved us, people who led us and, and guided us in the way of surrendering our lives to Christ and putting Him on in baptism. We will never forget that's Naaman when he, was, he went from dying to living, and he is so thankful. There's another lesson for Christians that's important to understand, and this lesson brings it out so clearly to us, that our thankfulness can fade. Not only can we go from dying to living, we can go from living to dying. Did you know that Naaman's leprosy came back? Naaman's leprosy came, came back and settled on a man, and not only him, but on all of his family. And this is what happens. And the man was, was not Naaman, but it was Gehazi. He was the servant of Elisha. He was a righteous man. He knew Jehovah God, and he had seen Elisha do amazing and wonderful things. He knew the power of God. In this story, he is a living man who knew Jehovah God, but he loses his focus. He went from living to dying. Often we miss this part of the story where the righteous get leprosy. And I'm talking about people who are already Christians, who've been Christians for a while, who know Jehovah God, who, who have faith in God. I mean, they come on Sunday morning and Sunday they're in Bible class. They're here. But they lose their focus. They lose their focus and they die in their sin. How does that happen? How does a righteous person and his family end up dying in leprosy? Even though he was a longtime believer and he had saying great things that Elisha has done, Naaman had something that this believer did not have anymore. Naaman had this desperate desire to be clean. He was desperate. Desperate. We've been that about a lot of things, but don't second-class salvation. He was desperate. He was dying, and he was in need. But Gehazi didn't have the feeling of desperation anymore. He had the sense of deserving something. The moment we let that happen... We can lose everything, including our family. We can lose everything. Look at verse 20. Elisha just told Naaman to go in peace. Look at verse 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman and this, this Syrian while not receiving from his hand what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him, and I will take something from him. Where in the world did he get that? It's certainly not found in the Scripture. It's like I'm entitled for something, for something and you're going to give it to me. 
because I deserve it. Verse 21. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him, and he said, Is all well? And Gehazi said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Indeed, just now two, me, two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the, the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So Naaman says, please take two talents. You can't, I mean, he is just so thankful that he's cleansed. I want to give you more. And he urged them, and he bound two talents of silver in two bags with the two changes of garments and handed them to two of his servants, and they carried them on ahead of him. And when he came to the citadel, they turned uh, they took them from their hand, Gehazi did, and stored them away in the house, and he let the men go, and they departed. Now when he stood before his master, Elisha said to him, Where'd you go, Gehazi? Oh, here's your time to fess up. Where'd you go? And he said, Your servant did not go anywhere. So then he said to him, did not my heart go with you when this man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female service? Therefore, what just has been said, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence leprous, and as white as snow. Gehazi had lost his focus, and he was willing to do everything. It was about him now. And anytime we get so callous, we get so wrapped up, even though we may be a baptized Christian, we come to the point in our life where it's just about us, where maybe someone needs some help, or maybe someone needs a meal, or maybe someone needs some patience, maybe someone needs some grace, maybe someone needs to learn about salvation, but we can't get there enough with them. We just can't. We have a problem. We haven't arrived. We have a problem. And the damage of that problem can not only affect me personally, it can affect our families, as it did Gehazi's, and it can affect the church. The leprosy at the beginning of the chapter and at the end of the chapter ties this together. The question is, Who's going to be a leper? Who's going to be a leper? That's our lesson. If you're not a Christian, you're dying and you're lost. If you haven't put Christ on in baptism, you're lost. And if you're not desperate enough to do it, you will be one day, but it may be too late. But you can leave here saved today and in Christ have your sins washed away, just as Jesus said. But that's your choice. Or maybe you have just lost your focus and it's been about all about you and not others and try to help people and encourage them and maybe it's time to turn your life around. Or maybe you're looking for a church home. You'd like to place your workmanship with us. Whatever we can do to help you, won't you come as together we stand and as we sing.